Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing our series about the life of David and looking at a time when David was in the wilderness. Our text for today is Psalm 57 and Psalm 63. Let me invite you to come and to worship with us. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or you can call us at 479-442-4634. We would love the chance to meet face-to-face and just express some of the love that, that we want to share with you. So if you have any questions about the church, reach out. We'd love to talk to you. Again, Pastor Kirk is continuing our series on the life of David as we look at David in the wilderness. Let's listen together. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn please to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. And I'm not sure what page number that is in the Pew Bibles, so... You'll just have to find it. Psalm number 57. What do the following men of the Bible have in common? Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, John the Apostle, and the Apostle Paul. What do all of those men have in common? Well, if you were to say, well, they were all used by God, they were great men of the Bible, patriarchs, apostles, our Savior himself, you would be correct. If you were to say that they were all God's men for specific ministries at specific times, you would be absolutely right. Of course, that would be true. But specifically today, in light of our subject for today, I'm thinking of one thing, one common experience, and it is this. All of these men spent significant time in the wilderness. Wasn't always the same wilderness, But they all spent time in the wilderness nonetheless. You could add to those names another two and a half to three million names, if we knew them all, of the children of Israel who came out of Egyptian bondage, miraculously delivered through the Red Sea, and they too spent time in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Now we are in the middle of a series entitled David, God's Man in Faith and in Failure. And we've been talking about David and we are about eight messages into this series and he hasn't even become the king yet. He's been anointed, he's been chosen, he's been designated by God, but he does not yet occupy a throne in Jerusalem. David is spending a lot of time in 
the wilderness. He is going through what you might call wilderness training. If you listen to most scholars or read most commentators about the life of David, they would tell you that David spent somewhere between 13 and 15 years in the wilderness. 13 to 15 years as a fugitive, running for his life, hiding in various wildernesses in that area that we know is the promised land. Now in studying the life of David, it's imperative that we deal with why this is so. Now we know the whys that Saul is attempting to take his life, that Saul is declining further and further into mental illness, that he is overwhelmed with jealousy. He is envious of David because David perhaps has surpassed even King Saul in popularity with the people. Uh, but there's other reasons. God has reasons that 1 Samuel chapter 21, at least through chapter 26, maybe through the end of the book, and then some 25 to 30 years later, after he has become king, how he is driven from the throne once more into the wilderness and we read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 18. And we will deal with the whys and the wherefores and what all is going on with that in the weeks to come. He is spending these years in fear, in flight, in frustration. But they end up being very formative years in David's training, in David's life. These years are going to be invaluable in helping to shape the concept, his concept of God and his place in God's work. And let me say this to you. Here is the main point of application today, and it is this. If you are a true child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you seek to walk with him, God will lead you into and through the wilderness as well. There are some things only learned in the wilderness that can never be learned on the mountaintop. There are things to be learned through these difficult, difficult times that we desperately need. They are defining times in our lives, and they were a defining time, defining years in David's life. I would suggest to you these three things at least, that the wilderness years helped to shape David's theology, his understanding and knowledge of God was shaped by this time running for his life and hiding from cave to cave, from canyon to canyon, from desert to desert in the wilderness. They not only shaped David's theology, they helped to mold his character into the person God would have him be. We saw and talked about that great, one of those great tests of his character last week 
and how God used a very unsuspecting person to help turn him away from wrath and anger. What kind of king he was going to be was hanging in the balance. We saw him in chapter 24, this generous, magnanimous, forgiving person who did not take the life of King Saul when Saul was placed in his hands. We see that again in chapter 26. Again, he spares Saul's life. And in between, just because of an insult and slight, he came within a hair's breadth of taking out vengeance on a very rude, very worthless man and all of the men who worked for him. And only God working through Abigail turned him away from that, showing that David's character was being shaped and molded in a different way than King Saul. Also in the wilderness, the wilderness helped to birth in David a life of worship and praise. We have at least 73 of 150 psalms uh, that are living proof of how God shaped David's life by worship and praise in the wilderness. And basically all of that can be summed up in this key truth. You've heard me say this before. While most people would say that the desert wilderness is a God-forsaken place, David found it to be a God-full place. God met with David in the wilderness. God will meet with you when you go through your wilderness. Just as the same sun that melts wax will harden clay, wilderness experiences will either make us better or bitter. And the difference will be determined by which way your heart is turned. Well, let me go ahead and tell you right now, we're going to do things backwards today. Is that okay with you? Not yet. It's okay with you. We do things backwards. We're going to save our scripture reading to close the message. I'm going to give you four truths to kind of frame what you need to take away with today, the picture you need to take today. And these four truths are going to be summed up and we can see them reflected in the Psalms that we will read to close the service. Point number one is this. As I've already mentioned, every believer spends time in the wilderness. Are you there now? Are you going through some kind of wilderness experience right now in your life? We all have them. Now, for us, it's usually not so much a geographical place like the uh, wilderness of Paran or the wilderness of Judah, of southern Judah, as David went through. For us, it's not so much geographical. For us, it is usually circumstantial. We all go through tough times, the times that we have to endure discomforts and trials. They may be uh, something that uh, involves intensified temptation in our lives of spiritual attack. It may be a wilderness of 
that's of an emotional nature. Maybe you struggle with depression. Maybe you struggle with discouragement. It may be a financial situation that you're going through that you don't know how you're going to make it another week or another month. Perhaps it is a relational wilderness. Maybe you're having trouble with a key individual in your life, a spouse, a mom, or a dad. Some would say the teenage years are wilderness years for everybody involved. Perhaps it is a relational struggle with your spouse. Perhaps your marriage dangles in the just the little boys above the fires of everything going south on you. Understand that wilderness years or wilderness months, however long they are, whatever discouragement, whatever difficulty, whatever emotional drought you may be going through, maybe it's a spiritual time of doubting what you used to be so sure about. It's not necessarily because of your sin. In fact, oftentimes it's not. In David's life, it wasn't because of David's sin. It was because of God-ordained testing for his life. And oftentimes it's the same for you and me. Understand this about the wilderness. Missionary Amy Carmichael, you heard me quote her poem, No Scar, a week or two ago. She said this about the wilderness. Bare heights of loneliness, a wilderness whose burning winds sweep over glowing hot sands, what are they to him? Even there, he can refresh us. Even there, he can renew us. So understand, everybody spends time in the wilderness, whether it's relational, financial, in your career, your family, your health, your walk with Christ. You are going to walk through the wilderness at some point. Every thoughtful, faithful child of God will. Know that there is no way you can bypass this basic training. You cannot clap out of them, move on to the next class. You cannot just pass go and collect $200. You're going to experience the wilderness every ounce of it, every minute of it that God has planned for your life. Now, to use another analogy, we all enjoy the mountain high experiences. Don't you wish that life could be just one long mountain high experience? But it cannot be. We always have to come down from the mountain high blessings that God gives to us. You can't live on the mountain always under the complete blessing flow, undeserved blessing flow of God. You can't plant a garden on a mountain. It's not there that you will bear fruit. It is in the rich soil of the valley that the best gardens are planted and the best harvest are experienced. You've got to go through the valleys 
In fact, you may live longer in the valley than you will on the mountaintop. Maybe that's why David himself wrote these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. David found his wilderness to be a place of truth, a place of beauty, a place of love, a place of communion with God. In fact, I think if David could be called in to be a witness for us here today, he would say to us, he found it easier to be close to God while running than he ever did while reigning. While reigning, he tended to lapse in his communion and his fellowship with God. In reigning on the throne, he fell into temptation and trials and troubles. It was while he was running for his life that he was closest to God. Every Christian will experience the wilderness. Number two, wilderness stories are stories of temptation and testing. The wilderness is a place that we face temptation, and it's a place where we face the testing of our faith. That's what it was for every one of these men that I already named at the beginning. It's what it was for David. It's what it was for the children of Israel. And by the way, just a side note, have you noticed how often the number 40 comes up in Scripture? The number 40. The children of Israel spent how many years in the wilderness? 40 before leading them out of Egyptian bondage, Moses spent how long on the backside of the wilderness being prepared for service? 40. In fact, he had to go through 40 years of personal testing and preparation, and then he had to lead the children of Israel through another 40 years. He only had 40 years that, that was in between, or that was actually the early part of his life in, in Egypt growing up as Pharaoh's son. 80 of his 120 years were spent in testing and trial. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. And understand, in all of these cases, the time of testing, the valley experience, the wilderness experience, followed the mountain high or the victorious experience. Jesus' baptism, the heavens opened, the Spirit descends like a dove. We see the Trinity, the Trinity all in one spot. We see Jesus, the Son. We hear the voice of God, the Father. We see God, the Holy Spirit, descending. And immediately, the Bible says, from there, it's into the wilderness for testing and for trials. The children of Israel are given deliverance and they are given permission to leave Egypt and they pass through miraculously the Red Sea that swallows up and destroys their enemies. What a great victory only to end up for 40 years not knowing where their next drink was going to come from. Not knowing where their next meal was going to come from. Testing and trial. The wilderness is a place of testing and trials for you and me. Are you going to trust God in the darkness what God taught you when you were walking in the light? When it seems like God withdraws his hand of blessing from you. 
Maybe even God seems silent to your prayers. Maybe the word of God doesn't speak to you. Maybe it seems like God has abandoned and forsaken you. Are you going to continue to trust and have faith and obey and walk with him until he brings the light back again? The wilderness is a place of testing. Are you going to become bitter and blaspheme? Or are you going to trust God and worship? Number three, in the wilderness, and this is what we really hate about it. In the wilderness, we are not in control. I might suggest to you that you never really are. But when we're not going through the wilderness, we feel like we are. You know, my work's going okay. My family's going okay. My finances are looking pretty good. I am doing well. It may feel like you are in control. We never really are. We're always in God's hands. But when we're in the wilderness, we have to deal with God. And we find out that we are not really in control of anything. In the wilderness, our lives get simplified. And they get deepened. We are forced to push aside secondary issues and deal with the most important issue of all. And that is God. God. The old timers used to say, when you're in the wilderness, you are shut up to faith. You don't have any other options. All you can do is hang on to faith, and to God. If you remember, in the wilderness, as David was dealing with God, dealing with this very unfair set of circumstances, with a powerful king and 3,000 of his crack soldiers trying to track you down and all you've got are 600 men and they are They are the bad guys. They are the ones who were in debt. They are the ones who who just made a mess of their lives. They were 'er ne'er-do-wells, every last one of them. We'll talk about them next week, Lord willing. But here you are with 600 ne'er do-wells, and it seems like the king is breathing down your neck. There's a, a really good argument for David being bitter at God for allowing that to happen. All he had ever done was be faithful and serve that king. And that king was throwing spears at him and seeking to take his life around every bend. So David had to deal with God. God, why did you allow this in my life? And there he learned reverence. There he met with God in ways that he never had before. There, God gave him inspired words, gave him songs in the night. As God's anointed, Saul was a wicked man. Was David going to become like him? In the wilderness, he had to deal with God and deal with that question. In the wilderness, we are not in control. Number four, in the wilderness, David found refuge. David found refuge. And I want to say to you, and I know this from experience, and some of you do as well, 
in the wilderness, you'll find refuge in God in a more meaningful way than maybe you ever will anywhere else. The books of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, tell the story of David from the outside. From the outside. You've got to read the Psalms if you want to know the story of David from the inside. Did you hear me? First and Second Samuel will tell you the story from the outside. What's happening to him? What's happening around him? But if you want to know what's happening inside of him, you've got to read the Psalms. 37 times in the Psalms, we read the word refuge. God has been my refuge. It's a common pattern when you read the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of David. They start off as a, as a geographical or maybe physical, circumstantial description of what he's going through in the wilderness, of being in fear for his life, of, of not knowing what tomorrow may hold, of seeking out a refuge, a hiding place. We're going to read a psalm in a moment that was written while he was in the very cave where he was hiding when God delivered Saul to him and he spared his life. And yet those psalms that begin with those circumstantial descriptions and how he is writing, uh, uh, hiding for his life are calling out to God for mercy and for help, we see every one of those psalms turn somewhere through the process of it into a song of praise into a song of worship to God for who he is. While inevitably it was a bad experience that drove David to the wilderness, the wilderness always turned out to be a good experience in his life. Did you hear that? Especially those of you who are going through one of those circumstantial wilderness experiences right now that while it may be something bad, a bad choice, a bad decision, just bad circumstances that you had no control over that drove you into the wilderness, understand it will result in a good experience when you come out the other side. Psalm 57 bears the superscript at the beginning, to the choir master, according to do not destroy. We don't know what that is. We presume that perhaps it is a particular tune that this was sung to, a tune entitled Do Not Destroy. Then it's identified as a miktam of David. And again, we don't know what that word means. Some others are identified as a mass kill. This one is a miktam. And in all of those cases, these are words, these are musical terms, directional terms that are not identified for us. But we know what this means. And these words were there from the beginning. 
when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God had a purpose for David, and David knew it. Child of God, God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. No less than the purpose he had for King David. No less significant. God has a purpose for you. Verse five, verse three. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. We don't know what that word means. It's probably a note to pause, to rest for a moment, and to think about and meditate on what you've just read. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And here's the refrain, the chorus. He'll say these same words twice in this psalm. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. Stop and just think about that for a minute and pause. They dug a net and a trap for me, but they fell into it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory, <clears throat> awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And here's that refrain again. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Twenty-five to thirty years later, 
after David had survived his wilderness years. And when he thought well into his reign, after he had established and brought together the ten northern tribes known as Israel, the two southern tribes known as Judah, and had made Jerusalem the capital and had defeated all of his enemies, having defeated Amalekites and Amorites and all those other ites. When everything seemed to be going so well, the enemy was not on the outside, but the enemy was on the inside. His own son, Absalom, a handsome young man, a handsome and popular young man, began to undermine his father, turned the people against his father, and finally gained enough strength that he drove David from the throne. And over halfway through the book of 2 Samuel, we find David having to flee once again to the wilderness. When he thought all of his wilderness years were in the rearview mirror, God allowed him to be driven into the wilderness again back to school. There were things he needed to be reminded of. Things he needed to relearn. He needed to get alone with God once again. Turn over a couple of pages to Psalm 63. Maybe just one page. Psalm 63. In church history, Psalm 63 was often called the morning psalm. The morning song. And for good reason. One of the early church fathers, John Chrysostom, said in the fourth century these words. The fathers of the church appointed Psalm 63 to be said every morning. Every morning as a spiritual song and a medicine to blot out our sins, to kindle in us a desire for God, to raise our souls and inflame them with a mighty fire of devotion, to make us overflow with goodness and love and send us with such preparation to approach and to appear before God, I don't know if you were listening to those words, but I'm going to tell you something. I know something about you. There's not a single person here that doesn't need what John Chrysostom just said this psalm would do for us. And that includes me as well. Psalm 63, the morning psalm to be read every day by God's people. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life, in this case, he's talking about his own son, shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. You know what David is saying in that psalm? He's saying, God is my hero. God is my hero. God is my rescue. He's saying, God is my hunger. He's the one that my soul hungers for and thirsts for. He's the only one who can satisfy. He's saying, God is the one who makes me happy. No one in this life No one in this world can do that like God can. You know what thought just went through my head? Well, of course you don't. He's saying nobody can make you happy like God can. And the thought that flashed through my head was, not even your grandchildren. Not even your grandchildren. He's saying, God is my hope. If God doesn't come through for me, I'm doomed. So I ask you, is God your hero? Is he your hero? And we sang a song a little while ago talking about what Christ did on the cross and how sin was arrested in our lives. It was stopped. It was taken care of. It was dealt with. It was paid for. And now, after giving our lives and trusting ourselves to him, if you are a child of God, 
That'll never be brought up again that, that he has separated your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. It has been cast into the sea of his forgetfulness. It'll never be brought up. Is God your hero? Is God your greatest hunger? Do you hunger and thirst for him more than your very food? More than any other fleshly desire? Does God make you happy? Truly happy? With a happiness not like the world gives, but a deep abiding joy that only God can give? Is God your only hope? Is he your assurance? Is he your confidence? More than anything else you possess, your bank account, your retirement, your home, your family, your possessions, your career, is God your real hope in life? The early church fathers said that needs to be read every day as a spiritual song and a medicine to blot out our sins, to kindle in us a desire for God, to raise our souls and inflame them with a mighty fire of devotion, to make us overflow with goodness and love and send us with such preparation to approach and appear before God. Nothing to fear in life and death. A psalm written like so many in the wilderness, in the time of difficulty, in the time of hardship, in a time when the author did not know if he was going to ever see a time of blessing again, God was with him in this wilderness. May I say to you, child of God, if you're there in the wilderness, fix your eyes on Christ. Immerse yourself in these psalms. They can be to you a hope and a help and a balm. Let me say to you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never given him your life and control of it, if you've never called on him to forgive you of your sins, you're not just going through a wilderness. You are in a deep, dark wilderness where you never have any hope except for Christ. Will you call upon him today? Will you trust him as your Savior? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a comfort to our souls. It is a blessing in our time of darkness, in our time of difficulty. Father, thank you for what you did in David's wilderness training. For in holding our Bibles, we hold the fruit of those difficulties. Father, help us to realize that you are doing a similar work in our life, not to write scripture, but through going through the test in our lives as your children, 
that we will exemplify Jesus, that we will learn about him and from him and cling to him. And may our lives be a testimony and a blessing to others that draw many people to you in salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.